under Mr. Lobo's power. Look into the hypnotic eye and repeat after Mr. Lobo. I, as an initiated member of the Sleepless Nights of Insomnia and the We Talk Games podcast, do solemnly swear to listen to the spooktacular, the whole spooktacular, and nothing but the spooktacular. So help me, Mr. Lobo. You're not dreaming. You're damned. This is your hellish host, Mr. Lobo of Cinema Insomnia. You are listening to the We Talk Games October Spooktacular 2017, Week 2. Tonight's feature is an inferno of infernal fury called Demon's World, also known as Demon, also known as Horror Story. But first, blow out the candles and sit in total darkness. Let my voice beckon you to a bygone era of a dimly lit video arcade. You stroll down the aisles of flashing game cabinets. Smoke burns your eyes as you strain to look at the screen. You are drawn into an electronic phantom zone where evil swallows your soul 25 cents at a time. Make peace with your god and pray for escape. You've been pulled into Demon's World. Insert coins. This is We Talk Games Arcade Weekly Spooktacular. It's an arcade show brought to you each Monday free of charge from your friends over at WeTalkGames.com. I am your host, Count Von Kubik, and I am joined along with Keith the Werewolf. <laughs> oh! Hoy. Wait, did that work? <laughs> sure. <laughs> and we are also joined along with the very spooky, creepy, and vicious John the Leprechaun Capcom. This is what we sound like. <laughs> <laughs> Are leprechauns really that scary? Warwick Davis was very scary in that movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, I kind of feel bad for Warwick Davis. I think of, of, on a bunch of occasions I've brought up <laughs> how bad I feel for him. Because it's usually just like, Warwick, we've got a part for you. Basically, you're a deformed little dude and you're scary and everyone thinks you're weird because you're small. <laughs> 
And he's just like, just fuck me in the mouth again. That's all you ever people ever do. Yeah, and Dinklage was like, fuck this noise. I'm going to do good roles. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Vern Troyer gets to play the baby in Baby's Day Out and be all cute. What is that? That's not true. That is true. Vern Troyer did a lot like the behind shots. Like he played the baby in Baby's Day Out. Wow, Dead serious. I didn't know that because that movie's trash. But yes, I had it no is. Idea. So he was like the stunt baby. Yeah, pretty much. He's kind of like stunt baby or stand in baby, I guess. Now he does all the drugs or he's dead or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you sure it looks the last I saw. R.I.P. Vern Troyer, because it's spooky to <laughs> yeah, be yeah. dead. It's spooktacular. So you boys horny for Halloween? Is that a thing now? <laughs> <laughs> no, because Satan has horns, and that goes against the Lord. This week we're talking Demon's World, a.k.a. Horror Story, a.k.a. Demon in some markets, 1989 by Toplin. I guess Taito put it out in some capacity. This is a scrolling shooter platformer. Do we want to jump right into the plot of this game? Oh, There's yeah. We got to make I, room for us because it's yeah. so uh, expensive. Yeah, the, the plot I, I uh, dubbed upon this game was Bimmy and Jimmy bust ghosts. <laughs> the plot was Ghostbusters came out and some lazy fucking hack at Tolkien went, <laughs> yeah, man, let's just do this. I agree with you 100%, but this might be the best ghost-busting, non-licensed arcade game ever put out. Because I definitely enjoyed this a lot more than the real Ghostbusters arcade game. It's got a, a lot better look than that game. Uh, I was actually calling these guys the ethnic ghost hunters, because they seem to only go after Indian ghosts, <laughs> Japanese ghosts. I have a theory behind that. Really? So, yeah, I think Toplin. I, I could just see them sitting down, like the, the board, sitting down and coming up with this game. So they're, they're like, you know, Ghostbusters is out. It's hot right now. You know, what do we do to bite off of, of, of some of that sweet Ghostbuster cash? Let's make a game about busting ghosts without paying for the license. But we got to appeal to the uh, American audience. So they're doing their research and they're like, all right, ghosts in America. Oh, ghost towns. Why are all these towns in the West? I don't understand. Oh, okay, put cowboy hats on the ghosts. I guess there's an Indian chief. Cool. We did our American level. Now let's do the ghosts that we understand, which are hopping zombies, cycloptic uh, umbrellas, and that type of thing. I really, mm -hmm. Because it, it makes no sense why you're in the Wild West in the beginning with ghosts. I think it was prescient in many ways if it wanted to crack the Irish market. Mm. Because the, uh, the boss at the end of the first not stage section shall we say yeah the dead native american right that design ultimately became popularized on every tie-dye t-shirt i saw from 1990 <laughs> to 1995 yeah i remember and, those <laughs> you know it was like oh you know what we're gonna get to that market of people who don't really understand what rave culture is <laughs> I didn't know it was all skeleton Indian chiefs. See, the thing is, people went crazy for color uh, because of ecstasy in the <laughs> early 90s. And acid a bit as well. And um, they started buying up uh, tie-dye shirts and, and all the crazy color com uh, combinations. So someone had a big crate of those lying around. I remember it was always just like crazy tie-dye patterns with like zombie Native American holding up a cow skull or something. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, no cow skulls in this game, though. This no, is just I do a... agree with you, Keith, though. These are like two of the whitest faced uh, protagonists. <laughs> you got Mustache McGee and no Mustache McGee. Red and blue, shooting with their power packs. There is a, like, proton laser weapon in this game, but it sucks. But we'll get to the weapon soon. Let's talk about the making mechanics. If you're new to the show, making mechanics are games that are similar to this game or will give you an idea of the foundation of which this game was built upon. I'll go first. Um, to me, this game, aside from the Double Dragon reference I made with Bimmy and Jimmy being, like, palette swaps with one another, this game, to me, was Ghost and Goblins meets Contra. Ghosts and Goblins came out in 1985 by Capcom. Contra came out in 1987 by Konami. I think that those two games give the listeners the best idea of what you're doing in this game. Very much with the Ghosts and Goblins difficulty, very much with the shootery aspect of Contra. Keith, do you have any other making mechanics? I definitely had Ghosts and Goblins. Contra is definitely a good pull, though. Contra does something this game doesn't, which we'll get into, which mm-hmm. makes Contra superior. I also had Wardner on the list from 1987, also by Toplin. I put that in because, one, when you put in your name at the beginning, you get to put that in, and you can yeah. use some of your favorite three-letter words. Yeah, let's go to, through that. So you can put in three initials for your character's name. I always <laughs> played as ass. Uh, what did you boys play as? Tit is a classic. <laughs> okay. Obviously, sex is a classic as well. Uh, the lesser spotted comb is always a good one. <laughs> that is a good one. Very sticky one. And uh, I, I haven't really uh, diversified since the late 80s, early 90s. I'm sure now with the advent of, you know, branding like Tumblr, taking out the unnecessary letters, people have come up with all kinds of explicit nom the plumes or whatever these yeah. are abbreviations of vulgarities how about you keith yeah. did you have any uh ones that we missed you know what i just put dad these look like some some tough <laughs> they do look ghost like dads ghost busting dads that's what they should have called this game in america yeah just with his cool shades and his cool 80s mustache that's why i mentioned uh wardner also i put another game we also reviewed which we did review wardner and this other game atomic runner chelnov which also came out in 1988 because the they are both this and that game are both frustrating forced scrollers yeah but once again atomic runner chelnov does something that Contra also did that this game doesn't do that makes it suffer um yeah you really got hung up on that huh I, right, we'll, we'll talk about it in a second. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about the controls. And there, there's just the one thing they could have done to make this game a little bit better. Okay. And a couple of odd little bits and bobs. Yeah, um, please. Remember the four scrolling in Super Mario Bros. 3? Oh, yeah. Oh, I, 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 I kind of wonder, was that what popular is that? I, I don't remember anything before it. Uh, so I had that down here. Super Mario Bros. 3 came out in 1988. Yeah, what you're touching on, I think I talked about this during Mario. If you want to hear about Mario, go to wetalkgames.com slash in the can and search Nintendo. You'll find that we covered most of our Nintendo arcade titles this past year during Mario, uh, during the month of May, of course. And I had a theory that because there was different teams working on Mario bros and, and brothers super mario brothers and, and the sequels that came out and then the game boy sequels i feel like the force scrolling in those games was like world b of what mario could have been and i really enjoy those levels they were always well thought out but i could see how they're more difficult to make good stage design with because like when you're perpetually moving or the screen is perpetually moving 
it's very skill-based, and I always enjoyed those levels more than the regular levels, which I also enjoyed immensely, but I liked the force-scrolling levels in Super Mario Bros. 3 because it felt very skill-based and you were utilizing Mario at his fullest potential of being a jump man. <laughs> the, um, another game uh, I was reminded of this was Day to East Robocop. Why? <laughs> the, uh, the look of it is quite similar. Okay. I guess whatever graphics engine they were using at the time. It was also a run and gunner. Right. Obviously, the game we discussed last week, Shadowland, mm, uh, yes. has a lot visually in common with it as well. Yeah. A game, though, that uh, this kind of struck me was Kid Chameleon. Mm, okay. Uh, the characters quite remind me of, like, Kid Chameleon mixed with that hop high school aesthetic. Oh, yeah, it's Kid you know, Chameleon's dad. He's got the same sunglasses. <laughs> Kid Chameleon is actually a great pull because, like, art style-wise, and I'm going solely off memory here, I really think these two games look simul similar to each other, Demon's World and Kid Chameleon. Of, of course, Kid Chameleon probably has more colors and a little more, uh, you know, finesse to it, but that type of art style, not with the huge head, but just these, like, chunky characters, I think that's a great pull, John. Oh, thanks. Obviously, Kid Chameleon had a lot more blast processing going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was an arcade in your home. Never mind this uh, bullshit where you had to go and put coins into a box somewhere. <laughs> and what kind of barbarian would have to end up doing that? I don't know. Only plebeians have to pay per quarter for their gaming. Keith, you, a couple of years ago, on another podcast, I believe, you said you saw an ad for, like, some kind of fruit-based drink that when you blew into it, it, like, animated. Oh. Well, it was the, the Kool-Aid Cool Bursts that, like, in the commercials, they would, like, squeeze them to squeeze, you know, the juice into the Kool-Aid into their mouth, and they would, like, comically expand a little, and I thought the bottles would do that. I was like, oh, you squeeze them and they're like rubber, like a ball. And then, like, they totally weren't, but right. that's what I thought. Yeah, that's what you're talking about. I want I think this drink to blast its goodness into my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I had a little bit of that back in the day watching, like, similar advertisements for arcade games and stuff, and just being like, one of these days it's going to be all neon and I'm going to get punched in the mouth by Shokan or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it just never came, you know? No, and sadly, neither did the demon's world to take over our own either, because, man, I want to be a ghost hunting dad. Yeah. But no, uh, you don't want to be a ghost dad, though, because that gets you into uh, <laughs> Keith, you had an interesting note about Toplin. You want to discuss that briefly? Well, one, they uh, they worked a lot with Taito, which uh, was the other reason I had brought up Wardner. And, uh, mm -hmm. But they were not the best, I guess, uh with their finances. Sadly, Toplin uh, went bankrupt in 1994, but a lot of people used to work for Toplin, which did mostly make shooter games, would go on to work for very prolific shooter companies, Cave, and also someone we've talked about here on We Talk Games, Rising slash Eighting, yeah. whatever name they seem to go over at the time. They uh, switch did. too, because sometimes they spell out the word eight. And then other times yeah. they put the number eight with ING in the back of it. So Yeah, creators of uh, Bloody Roar and uh, Daimahu, which yep. we talked about, wetalkgames.com slash in the can. So Toplin's kind of important. They've done a lot of weird games, and this is 
this was so close to being good. And as I mentioned before, can we, should we get into yeah, controls? Yeah, let's talk about it because I disagree with you, not vehemently, but I get what you're saying. I just feel that the game didn't need it. But let's talk about the controls of Bimmy and Jimmy in Demon's <laughs> World. And you can start. Regular joystick, two-button controls. You got to jump. You have a shoot. You can only shoot forwards or backwards. And what I was mentioning before, you probably have picked up on now if you've played this, is you can't aim up. You don't even need to aim diagonally. Just to be able to shoot straight up would have been really, really helpful in this game, which is a shooter but also a platformer. And they really are brutal, more brutal with the platforming than the shooting in this game. And then when they put both together, you've already gone through a whole roll of quarters by that point. Yeah, now, I, I, I agree with you that the game is, is difficult. I didn't find the game to be extremely difficult until we got up to the um, boulder section of the first stage or section of the game. Here's what I want to address. The game doesn't stop. The game just keeps going. Even after you defeat a boss, there's no, like, score tally screen. There's no Pac-Man meeting Miss Pac-Man sequence. There's no break. You go from one screen to the... It, or you just keep scrolling. You just keep going. So even after you defeat a boss, you have to keep moving, even toward the end, which I don't want to spoil just yet, but there's this little, like, fake-out thing that happens at the very end because you're like, oh, am I supposed to do something? Because the game just stops abruptly. With that said with this force scrolling and you're perpetually moving and the platforming that Keith addressed, there is double jump in the game. And I feel that the double jump makes up for the lack of shooting upward. Much like Ghosts and Goblins, you can change out your weapons and you can get real shit weapons. Really, there's only one shitty weapon. But I preferred the boomerang looking item weapon that was kind of like this um, repetitive slash shooter. And the other weapon that I really dug was the uh, three-shot, the spread. Because the spread, again, for me, between the spread and the double jump made up for the fact that I couldn't shoot upwards, which I felt was there intentionally because the game was very skill-based with this mix or this hybrid between platforming and shooting, which you see with the first boss battle with this dead Indian chief. He is high up in the air, and he summons like stone totems to fall down on you. And then later, if you leave him on the screen long enough, he'll actually do a spread fire attack. But if you were able to shoot up in that boss battle, that boss battle would be extremely easy. But because you can't, and you have to utilize the double jump, you, one, have to think about which weapon you're going into that battle with. If you get the bomb in any situation, you are fucked in this game. And B stands for bomb. So when you see the little option come on the screen that you can grab and it says B, just wait until it flips to any other letter or number, because I assure you, whatever that is, it's better than that B, because the bomb weapon is like the equivalent of the axe weapon in Ghosts and Goblins. If I, I couldn't scream at the game enough when I accidentally hit into that fucking B and got the bomb weapon, which was essentially, you would shoot two little bombs at an arc that would be the height of your knee to the ground. So you pretty much couldn't hit anything. So I used that Indian Chief boss battle as an example as to why, for me at least, shooting upward wasn't important. I do agree with you that it would have made the game more dynamic and they could have built a more dynamic game around the ability to shoot up, but I didn't feel it needed it. That probably wasn't their idea. They probably were focusing more on 
the different weapons because they provide enough of them that they just float out from the left of the screen. Every couple sections, you'll get yeah. one to come out, and it will flash in between the different power-ups, so pretty easy to wait for it to stop on the one you want. Keith, why don't you go over the weapons that you can collect, or we'll go over them together if you don't remember all of them. Oh, no, definitely. There's the base machine gun, which more looks like little rockets you're shooting out, but it's just a rapid-fire, straightforward shot. We have which is the, represented as M on the option, which I believe stands for missile, because they look like little um, missiles. Missile, not machine gun. That's my bad. But I, I always just thought machine gun. And we have B, bomb. Fuck the, that. Fuck that noise. Yeah, fuck the bomb. <laughs> Don't use the bomb. Then the boomerang, which was the one you mentioned, which is the, it's almost like a flamethrower weapon, where if yeah. you're you can hold pressing it, it constantly it enough, going. you're just holding it. Yeah, you're just holding yeah. it out in front of you. And then there is L, <laughs> which is the laser. What's up, John? No, I'm just thinking if you're playing, you know the way, I don't know about you guys, all right? But I used to enjoy being a dick to whoever my player two was. Yeah, especially when I was a kid. I think if uh, with knowing what I know now, if I was playing this game and it was possible to nudge someone into uh, the item boxes, yeah, I'd love to do it just so I could nudge someone into the bomb and then turn to them and say, "Looks like somebody set us up the bomb." Am I right? <laughs> well, I do. Now, did either one of you play with the second player? No. Okay, so no. I, I did, and I want to address it. But Keith, just finish up because I believe we only have one more weapon. The laser. Did I mention laser? You, you, or did I mention- you, you mentioned the laser, but then there's also the number three, which stands for. Oh the yeah, shot. So the, the spread. Three, the spread shot. So which is all I used. Yeah, uh, between the boomerang weapon, I found the boomerang weapon to be very handy during the regular platforming stages, where I did prefer the three shot when I got up to enemies. I did die a lot in this game. I actually was doing very well up until the first section where those boulders started falling. And then there's buzzards that drop boulders on you as well. And the boulders can't be destroyed or broken up by any weapon. So they're um, invincible It's quite simple that one actually is. Yeah, I was playing Splatterhouse Wampaku Graffiti this week a lot. Okay. And I was having trouble with the facehugger section, you know, where the, yes. they're coming out of the girl's chest. And at a certain point, I was like, no, just watch where they are. Don't worry about where Rick is. Right. Yes. And, and that's uh, what I learned from this stage as well. But just keep walking. Right. Because once you go underneath them, they'll let go. So if you just keep on constantly just setting them off like they're traps, I suppose. Yeah. But we did forget one other attack you have. Mm-hmm. that some people may not realize right away is that you can jump on enemies' heads. I got a yes, bone that, pick that. That's a blow blayer blip, definitely, because going into this game, I didn't realize that until I was maybe halfway through the second section. Yeah, because you can double jump, but you can also hold down, and instead of double jumping, down jump to have to come down quicker so you don't float as much and you can kind of land on top of enemies. And you don't have to do the, the ground pound, I guess it would be, for the Mario people out there. I had a problem with jumping on top of enemies. Just because... Not to bring up Mario again, but Mario, I think, is the prime example of this. Right. Like When you play Mario, you've got a few centimeters either side, shall we say, where you have an error zone. You kind can of just you convert to- that for me, please? Oh, Christ, sorry. I'm joking, no. You've, you've, you've got a few cubits either side, okay? <laughs> <laughs> a few hands. Well, how far back do you want me to go? But, um, 
you've got a, like a few millimeters, shall we say then, yeah. uh, either side where you can hit, you don't have to land exactly right in the middle of the enemy you're trying to land on. Mm-hmm. And I found with this game, I would jump and if I was playing a Mario game, I would easily have killed the enemy. But in this game, you have to drop your crotch right onto the middle <laughs> you do. of this thing's head. If you are one pixel off, it will kill you. Right. And it's and so frustrating. There's a few moments in this game where you need to learn how to do these skilled jumps, uh, particularly in the next stage where we're in some sort of Japanese-inspired setting with the kappa that are in the mud. Um, yeah. Because if, you, oh. if you're in the mud too long, you die, and if you wait too long for the kappa, they jump out. So as the kappa pop up their heads, you jump on top of them. Very similar, going back to John's making mechanics of Super Mario Bros. 3 with those moles that would pop up from the airships or the tanks and throw wrenches at you and you could bounce off of their heads. You need to do this, but you need to do these on Kappa and use them as platforms. And John, for me, I had the same experience as John did. You have to be dead nuts accurate on the center of them, otherwise you don't hit them. I didn't get tripped up too much, but I I do see what you're saying. Just want to talk about the two-player aspect of it because I thought this was interesting, Uh, especially with all this talk of Nintendo. When you play two players, you can jump on your friend's head and actually do a double jump off the top of their head to get higher up, which was very handy when I was playing through with my friend Anthony and we were fighting the very first boss, which was that Indian chief, because now he's standing on my head with the three shot and just blasting this dude, which when I played it single player, it was much more difficult because now I had to do the double jump and shoot. And even though I had the three shot, the three-shot angle up is a very specific angle. I believe it's 45 degrees. So you have to go to like one side of the stage to hit without jumping up. You, you see what I'm saying? Having a second player with you is handy because now the other player can actually, or you or the other player can get to some of the areas in the stage that you wouldn't be able to get to by yourself because you can jump on each other's head, very similar to Mario Bros in Nintendo. There is no screw you method that I saw where you could hit them from underneath the platform and bounce them left and right like you do uh, Super, uh, rather Mario Bros, but I thought that was a cool mechanic in there. You said as well in the two-player mode, you can essentially continue on the spot, right? You yes. don't have to... Because that's one of the most frustrating parts about playing this game was I'd make progress and then I would die and just get sent back a few feet, if that right. makes you feel any better. Yes. And um, it was just a lot of bullshit as far as I was concerned because I was like, you can clearly... It's 1989, right? You can let me continue from where I was. Sure. You don't need to let it all fade to black and send me back a few feet. Because as cheap as this is, but I'm I'm willing to buy my way to the end of this game. And this game wasn't willing to allow me to do that. I think Keith will agree with me on this. It wasn't <laughs> Mars Matrix, right? No. Yeah, Where it wasn't it, that bad. Yeah, I mean, it sent you back a little bit. And this is how I learned how to navigate some of the screens that were more difficult for me, like the boulders and the buzzards that would drop the rocks. Uh, and learn to not freak out when you saw them dropping. But like John described, just watch them, not yourself, and then kind of guide them to where you wanted them to drop the hazards. I thought it was fair enough as far as where they sent you. They didn't send you to the beginning of the stage. It's very hard to describe stages in a game that seems to just be this belt of uh, images and hazards. And eventually, you know, occasionally it'll pause so you can beat a boss, but then it keeps ramping up and going again. I have a theory about that. Mm. 
you know, because obviously you can't walk from the Old West to Japan. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is all just a big haunted theme park. Could be. No story is just, described in this game, so anything There is, is no possible. story. Yeah, they don't give you anything. It's literally... Anything I, is possible at Halloween. No, oh, yes. Mm. Oh, do you know what could be scarier than that? What's that? This could be a human zoo. Like, <laughs> if you want to know about real horror, kids, uh, there is a human zoo still left in Paris. It's called the Exposition Coloniale. And basically, when the French would go and subjugate the new people on some far-flung corner of the world relative to them, they would then take 10, 15 people and bring them back and force them to be an attraction in a human zoo. Fuck. As long as we can still call the characters Bimmy and Jimmy, I'm totally cool with this plot. (laughs) Uh, Well, it actually kind of goes into something that I wanted to bring up. Please. We didn't really discuss where we were in the game at this point but like japan is area two or three two and a half maybe and uh, last week on shadowland we discussed uh the weird umbrella monsters from super mario land 2 and kyle you seem to have an interest in them and you were kind of not knowing the origin of them right but uh, i did a little bit of research and they're called casa obake and they appear in a couple of different games. There's movies. If you look up uh, Castle Obaka GIFs, like you'll see animatronic versions from films. Okay. And it's specifically a type of Japanese ghost called Tsukumogami, which is a tool or implement that is so old it has become home to a spirit or demon. Oh, I love that. I love so, that so much. It's uh, similar to, like, say, cursed swords, cursed pogs. Remember them? <laughs> Wait, what? Were <laughs> cursed pogs? Yeah, there was, like, a slammer that a friend of mine gave me. He's like, if you only play with that once, you'll definitely win. But if you don't give it to someone else, you'll be cursed. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, uh, oh, that's the best. I now, and now the pog's so old, it sprouted a little eye and started hopping around. <laughs> Yeah, uh, like there's those evil N64 carts with the yes. ghosts trapped in them. That's what I'm saying. It sounds yeah. like a uh, 90s uh, creepypasta. Yeah. There seems to be a little bit more to it in Japanese culture. When you really think, because I started thinking about like cursed armor. In uh, Darkstalkers, there's a character and he is just a cursed uh, suit of armor. Yeah, Bishamon. Yeah. Uh, He's so awesome. It's one of my favorites. It seems, to be, uh, it seems to be a thing that they explore quite a bit. Yeah, there's um, a lot of Japanese nods to the different folklore monsters in here. Um, And has a lot of uh, European folklore monsters, too. Yes. Like Um, Frankenstein. Frankenstein's in there. You see Jason Voorhees. American folklore. Right. You see uh, Dracula and vampires, but you also see the Japanese equivalent of those hopping zombie vampires. Um, Those are more Chinese. Oh, they're Chinese. I apologize. And they're also on tricycles for some reason, which I think was just done for aesthetic. I don't think they... uh, I thought they were big wheels. Yeah, they do look like big wheels. Um, (laughs) The Kappa, for listeners who aren't familiar with what a Kappa is, it's sort of like a turtle goblin. And I believe that comes from Japanese folklore, unless I'm wrong. That that. does. That definitely There is a... um, If anyone's played the Yakuza series, there's a submission where Taiga Sejima has to hunt down a Kappa in Yakuza 4. It's one of the more interesting parts of Tiger Sejima's story. All right, that's interesting. So, yes, you, you fight the Native American 
chief. You fight this dragon. You fight, I guess, a, a cursed suit of armor as well at, at one point with a spear that you, his head is it, you know, detached from the rest of the body and you can actually jump on the body to shoot at the head. Again, this is why I don't think shooting up is necessarily important. If it was in this game, they'd have to rethink these boss battles. Do you uh, disagree with you on that? Keith? <laughs> no, Kirk Cobain, he loves shooting up. <laughs> <laughs> Happy oh. spooktacular, everyone! <laughs> Maybe it was an inside job! <laughs> Courtney did it! <laughs> uh, what, what other bosses were there, Keith? There was, um, I think there was a repetition of dragons, right? There was... Because of time, I didn't what? get... Yeah, I uh, I didn't finish the game, man. I wanted to. Uh, I really God. wanted to finish it. Do I need to reprimand it. you for 15 minutes on this podcast about timing and finishing games and whatnot? I'll uh, fucking do it. I'll do it. It's I'm, spooktacular. It, I'll get spooky. I mean, that is kind of spooky. You're kind of freaking me out right now. <laughs> Keith, you've ruined this episode. I totally <laughs> ruined it. Because it, it's game's too hard. It took me so... And it's way longer than I expected it to be. It does not seem to end. And you're like, oh, this is so difficult here. Okay, There's well, no way this keeps going. I'm going to cut you off there because it's, it's not much further past the um, large dragon, the Shenlong dragon that you fight. I can't oh, not that dragon. I'm talking the later dragons. Okay, so yeah, there's another dragon, and then he spits fire onto the ground in sort of like a fountain, like spewing type of thing, where he'll blast it, and there'll be a little bit of a uh, spread when it hits the ground. You see the same dragon later. He's a different palette color, and he'll spit fireballs at you. And then there's this big bad at the end, which is a demon that's sort of... Again, with this body horror, there's some sort of Metroid... Actually, I was going to say there's some sort of Metroid stuff happening, but there are literal Metroids in this game <laughs> later on where you're Oh, the jellyfish? Them. Yes. Come oh, on, they, they, they totally look like Metroids. They do, and bro blair, blue blair blip on the jellyfish. Don't try to shoot them. For some reason, shooting them does not kill them very fast, especially with the three shot. Just jump on their heads. Jump yeah, on the that's little. That's the quickest way to kill them. Yeah, it's the best way to get rid of the medium-sized jellyfish that come out of the giant jellyfish, and even tinier jellyfish. Ooh, even tinier jellyfish come out of the medium-sized uh, jellyfish. There's some asteroids and... happening that none of us touched on in our making mechanics because it's not really that important. But that, if you think of asteroids, how the asteroids break part same thing happens with these jellyfish yeah they like poop them out and the second to last boss boss rush is that dragon i was describing that spews fireballs and then once you kill him nothing happens so here me and my friend anthony are standing and we're like was that the end and then boulders start dumping onto the screen because you have to jump down the pit that would otherwise kill you or at least we thought would otherwise kill you while we were doing this boss battle with the dragon to bring you to the final boss. That was a little uh, way of the game saying, fuck you, I guess. So Blow Blair Blip in that respect, when you think the game has come to a complete stop after a boss, just jump down the pit, you'll be okay. There's the final boss. We had no problem beating the hole off the last boss. None of the bosses are ever more difficult than the last boss. It's just figuring out, it's always shooting the head and it's figuring out how to do that. But because we fell down the hole together and he's stacked on top of me, we're just like, ABS, always be shooting. Bap, 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 bap. He's dead and that's the end of the game and you get to relive all the nightmares from previous stages because it scrolls backwards, which I always enjoy in old arcade games.
Who you gonna call? You ain't afraid of no grammar Nazis. Or ghosts, for that matter. Or monsters, either. Your energy pack on your back powers a special gun that can blast your dishonored ancestors back to hell, as well as special guest stars from Japanese folklore like... like Karakasa, Kappa, Roku Rokubi, Cubert, and Coco Crispies. Suddenly, you are on a ghost pirate ship. Is the ship a ghost, or are the pirates ghosts, or are the ghost pirates? It doesn't matter. You run up on dry land in a ghost town in the Old West where you shoot drunken Mr. Bubble impersonators in cowboy hats, Frankenstein monsters, Draculars, and even camp counselor killing hockey masked killers. The final stage takes place in the realm of castles, goblins, dungeons, and dragons, if things weren't already geeky enough. Put on your protective shades, jump in your jumpsuit, and cop a cop mustache as we get ready to blast our way out of side-scroller hell in... Demon's World. Also known as Demon. Also known as Horror Story. We did not mention that there are P power-ups that when you collect three of them, you get a shield, which will change the color of your guy from blue or red to a gray, and then you can take an extra hit because this is a one-hit kill game, which also makes it super difficult. Yeah, I agree with you, and one of the improvements, let's talk about those now, one of the improvements I would add to this game, now, I know, Keith, you wanted a life bar. Yeah, that would be nice. Maybe even like if it was a three hearts, you know, like a classic sort of three hits and you're and you're done would be really nice. I can dig it, uh, but I counter with this. You collect these P power ups, you get three and you get a shield. Your character changes color. It's gray. His suit turns gray instead of red or blue. And when you have that gray suit on, you get one additional hit. Here's what I would have appreciated. I collect three P's, get the shield. I collect another three P's. Don't give me points give me another shield and I can build up that bar. That would be cool, yeah, that could definitely work. Because like I said, I was learning the game well and when I was playing with a second player, I collected nine Ps at one point and I would have really appreciated to have the three shields instead of just having the 5,000 points that I would inevitably lose because the game was so challenging and that's the other thing is you can pay to play your way through the game but each time you continue, your score goes back to zero. Keith, I know you'd improve this game by shooting upward. John, are there any improvements that you would have added to Demon's World to make it a little bit more enjoyable for you? I would have made it a little bit more user-friendly. Um, I wouldn't have had, as I said, the the backtracking every time you want to continue. I definitely would have made a more, I guess, consoleized life system. Mm-hmm. So, no, I'm saying that. Like, we've got games like B-Rap Boys or uh, DJ Boy was even more of a fuck you on the home console sometimes yeah but i think if it has just been tweaked here and there like if the as i said if the jumping mechanic where you have to kill your enemies by jumping on them if that wasn't so rigid if there was 
one or two hits you could take. I'd be fine with the system you recommended there with uh, getting power-ups upon power-ups. It's much like collecting lives in any other game. I wanted to like this game because of how obtuse it was. Mm. And I think in decisions it was making to try and farm more cash from my pocket. Sure. I, I found that at the end of it, I just wasn't really all of that won over by it. I forgot the one other improvement I would have made is the double jump is okay, but you have to hit it at the top arc of your jump. Yes. Just give me a little more space on that yeah. double jump. Like, yeah. let me fall a little bit instead of having to hit at the top of my arc because there's so many points in the game where I'm like, if I, if I could have made that if you just let me double jump a little bit later than it does. So just more, I guess, as John said, it's more user-friendly stuff than, you know, you had more console-centric uh, controls than janky arcade controls. With the two you described, I don't know if it's a limitation on the hardware or a limitation from the developer. Maybe if this was a Konami joint or a Capcom joint, it would have finessed more than what Toplin was available uh, to do at the time. I do agree with you, especially because there is a lot of platforming happening in this game. The, the platforming should have been tightened up a little bit more. Who would I recommend this game to? I think the game, especially this time of year when everything is spooky and ooky, I think this is a good Halloween-y game because of the assortment of monsters. So if you're interested in that and you'd like Ghost and Goblins or you like Contra, I think you're going to get enjoyment out of this, especially if you play with a second player. I just don't know if you'll return to it ever again after you complete the game because I don't feel like I will. I'd return to it with a second person would make it a lot more fun. That that would get me to come back because I really do like the design, the simple design of all the characters and all the monsters. And what's better than two dads? There was a whole sitcom about it. Well, is the question, would I return to this game? Yeah. Okay, well, I can say that I wouldn't. And my ultimate note on this one was... I would have enjoyed this game if I'd played it when I was a child. But the dads weren't hot enough. I get it. N- yeah, oh, pretty is much. Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> no, no. But as a distraction in between games, I preferred. <laughs> yes. Because like a lot of people probably can't realize this because they've never experienced what an arcade was like. You would play a game like Demon World in between while you're waiting for Turtles to open up. 100%. Yep. You know, so I think if I played it in that kind of fairground, you know, next thing, next thing, next thing environment, then I probably would have enjoyed it. When I had to sit down and play it, I was starting, my patience got tried. Like at the initial uh, playthroughs, I was really enjoying it. But as it wore on, I was just like, I've got better things to do to the point where I started actually fucking playing Sunset Riders. (laughs) Yes. And I I was just like, I just want to play a fun game. And I messaged Kyle and I was like, man, I can beat the Smith Brothers on one credit. Yeah, I'm like the toughest guy in Ireland. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) let me tell you, those Smith Brothers aren't fucking easy. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I I think as a B-tier uh, game it's okay but i think it uh, having to the to um apply any type of long-term gameplay to it especially as a single player it was not a fulfilling experience mm. i would like to experience with with a second player yeah yeah i would recommend and, uh, it definitely not so much just to play this game but just you know not to experience crushing loneliness for another day <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, let me remind our listeners, whatever service you downloaded this podcast from, please go to that service and leave a rating and review in a positive light, of course. If it's you know a maximum of five stars, we'd really dig to get those five stars as well as get a, a nice review. Your feedback in a positive light is always welcomed. Uh, and also, we're across all different social media outlets. We're on Reddit, r slash WeTalkGames. Yeah, what's up, Reddit? We're on Twitter, at WeTalkGames, and Facebook.com slash WeTalkGames. For Keith, the Robo Duke, and John E. Capcom, I am Kyle Von Kubik, and we will talk at you again next week. That was almost perfect timing, Keith. Yeah, that's me. Perfect comedic timing. (laughs) (laughs) This is Mr. Lobo, your horror host and guide to the unknown. Look out! Next week, we blast off into a galactic peril that will prove that in space, everyone can hear you scream. Escape from the planet of the robot monsters. But until then, this is Mr. Lobo saying, game over. <laughs> it is funny.